All right. Good morning, everyone. Thanks, Jake. Uh, as Jake mentioned, my name is Matt Townsley. If we've not had a chance to meet, uh, my wife and family and I have been going to Riverwood now for, I think, close to five years. A couple things you should know about me. First, um, today is a very special day. My wife and I have been celebrating 18 years of marriage. So here we are. We lasted 18 years with many more to come. Uh, really happy to, uh, to celebrate 18 years of being married to Cassie. Uh, again, five, about five years ago, we moved back up to Waverly. Uh, another thing you should know about me is um, I, uh, education is my vocation. I've been a, a teacher, an administrator, and now um, I work at a university. And as I was joking with, uh, with, with one of our college students last week, today's, today's message might sound a little bit kind of like a, a college lecture, right? You're getting the professor today, not the preacher, but the professor is going to try to act like a preacher today uh, in, in, in this morning's message. Uh, something else you should know about me is the following. Um, you know those, like, those, those Monday morning or Monday afternoon conversations at work or at school where someone says, like, how was your weekend? You know what I'm talking about? Usually my response is like, well, not a whole lot. You, you know, just another weekend type of thing. You know, the boring stuff that just is typical of me. I have a pretty boring life. But a couple weeks ago, I actually had something to talk about. A couple weeks ago, on a Sunday afternoon, after church, I left, I like zoomed out here, I actually left church like right after the message, drove with my, my, my two sons to Iowa City to go to the University of Iowa women's basketball game. My parents have season tickets, and so we're going with my dad. We just happened to go to the game where the University of Iowa women's basketball was playing against Indiana. Anyone catch this game? Big game. Indiana's ranked number two. Iowa was also ranked in the top ten. Carver Hawkeye Arena, which is hardly ever sold out for a women's basketball game, was sold out. ESPN was there, college game day, like it was a huge deal. So we just happened to be at this game. And at this game, if you didn't, if you didn't catch the highlights, it was a back and forth game all the way until the, pretty much like the last 10 seconds. And then a questionable call happens. Indiana goes to the free throw line on a very questionable call. Us Iowa fans know she should have been called for traveling, but she wasn't. And, but instead she goes to the free throw line and she makes some shots. And so now Indiana is up. Coach Bluter for the Hawkeyes calls a timeout and sets up the play. Everyone in the arena, this sold out Carver Hawkeye arena is on their feet and everybody knows who the ball is going to go to. If you're following University of Iowa women's basketball, you know that the play is going to be set up to go to the one and only Caitlin Clark. Sure enough, after the timeout, they run a play, and she does like the old like Hoosiers movie picket fence type of thing. She runs all the way around multiple picks, catches the ball, and as you see on the screen, shoots the ball at the buzzer. Hawks win it. The place goes absolutely bonkers. This unbelievable scene. And for the first time in like years, I have something to talk about on Monday morning. It's that big of a deal. I just, I, I mean, it's such a big deal. I'm still telling you about it today, right? It's huge. It was crazy. It was an unbelievable moment. And of course, it's fun to hop on YouTube and watch the video. But like Caleb, Tyler, and I, like we were there. We, we watched it. It was kind of loud, wasn't it, Ty? It was really loud when that place erupted. He was like, ah, oh, it was loud. It was memorable. It was worth sharing about. In today's passage, we're going to see a, a similar situation. A group of people that, that witnessed or were exposed to something that was actually unbelievable. Absolutely unbelievable. And as a result of it, they were compelled to share with others 
about it. And so I invite you to open up your Bibles today or your Bible app to Matthew 28. We're going to dig into verses 16 through 20. Matthew 28, verses 16 through 20. We're, uh, if, you, if you've been with us for the past couple weeks, we've been in a series in the book of Acts. And so we're going to kind of pause on that series for just a moment. And we're going we're to go back in time just a little bit to an event that really sets up the entire book of Acts and all of these things that Aaron's been sharing with us uh, about the early church. Uh, today we're going to pick up in uh, Matthew chapter 28 with Jesus being reunited with his 12 disciples after this big Easter event. So here we go. If, you have, if you're going to join me right now, Matthew 28, verses 16 through 20. We'll have the verses also up on the screen. Here we go. Verse 16. Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee on the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Will you join me in prayer? Dear God, what a pleasure it is today to gather. Lord, to be reminded of what you've done for us on the cross, what that means for us today. Lord, as we think back to the history of Riverwood Church, Lord, we're, th- we're thankful We're thankful for Aaron and Leanne Bird answering your call to start a new church here in Waverly about a dozen years ago, centered on that very same Easter message. Or as we consider our recent study of the book of Acts and how the gospel was on the move in the early church, I pray, Lord, that the gospel would be on the move here at Riverwood. Lord, I pray that in the days and the weeks and the months to come, that you would help us to be so enthralled with what you've done in our lives that we just cannot wait to share about it with others. Lord, I pray that you'd be with me today. Help the words that I share come straight from you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. All right, as we dig into these uh, four verses today, I want to do a couple things. First, I want to set the stage for kind of what in the world's going on here. Second, I want to share with you and highlight the doubt that is expressed here by the disciples. Uh, third, I want to share with you the proclamation that we'll see in verse 18, and I want to end by uh, describing the mandate for all of us in the last two verses. So let's get started with, uh, with, with, with setting the stage here. Um, if we were to go back to the very first verses of Matthew 28, I know I jumped into verse 16 here, but if you have your Bible open, check out the first seven verses of Matthew 28. I think what you'll see there is, is we kind of like, we, we catch the Easter story about halfway through. The Marys, Mary Magdalene and that other Mary, they're going to the tomb. Jesus has died and they wonder, what's going on? Why isn't he there? This big earthquake happens. The guards are like, what in the world's going on around here? And then this angel appears. And the angel tells the Marys, hey, don't be afraid. Jesus is risen. Tell the disciples that he is risen and that you'll see him in Galilee. If I can frame this using just a couple words to set the stage, this is one of those told you so moments 
It's a told you so moment that the Marys, but the Marys are like, what? What in the world's going on? If we look at the parallel passage here in Luke, you'll see this up on the screen, Luke 24, verses 1 through 7, here's what's going on in this told you so moment to the Marys. It reads as follows, Luke 24, verses 1 through 7, but on the first day of the week, at early dawn, they went to the tomb, taking the spices they had prepared, this is the Marys, and they found the stone rolled away from the tomb, but when they went in, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were perplexed about this, behold, two men stood by them in dazzling apparel. And as they were frightened and bowed their faces to the ground, the men said to them, Why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here, but has risen. Check out these next couple verses. This is the told you so moment. Remember how he told you while he was still in Galilee? that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful man and be crucified and on the third day rise. Riverwood friends, this is a told you so moment. And yet this is even bigger than Caitlin Clark hitting the big shot. Now, all of us there at Carver Hawkeye, we, we thought and we hoped that she was going to hit the big shot, but we didn't know until she actually put up the shot if she was going to make it. The difference in this story is Jesus had been proclaiming exactly what was going to happen in a giant told you so moment. As we go back to verse 10 in Matthew 28 of our text today, Jesus then appears again to the disciples and says, hey, here I am again. Go to Galilee. See you soon. And that's really where our text picks up today. But what happens in Galilee is maybe not what we would really expect in the midst of a told you so moment. And that takes us to verse 17 of Matthew 28 today. This is where the doubt comes into play. Now that we've set the stage, it may be easy to miss verse 17. Verse 17 says, And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Some worshipped and others doubted despite the fact that Jesus told them this was going to happen? It's like they saw the instant replay before it even happened, yet some of them still didn't believe. This is a crazy story. This is absolutely wild. Just a few days ago, these same disciples were actually with Jesus. They saw him. They heard him. He told them, guys, I'm going to die. Guys, on the third day, I'm going to rise again. But some doubted. For those of you that have uh, been around church for a while, perhaps you've heard of this person in the Bible, Doubting Thomas. We're going to dig into Doubting Thomas now. It, I think it captures this, uh, the doubt side of this very moment where some of the disciples doubted despite the fact that they were seeing Jesus resurrected from the dead. So join me in John, verse, John chapter 20, verses 24 through 30 up on the screen. Now Thomas, one of the twelve called the twin, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, we have seen the Lord. But Thomas 
he, he said to them, unless I see his hands, the mark of the nails, and place my finger into the mark of the nails and place my hand into his side, I will never believe. Eight days later, his disciples were inside again and Thomas was with them. Again, this is this doubting moment. Although the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, put your finger here and see my hands and put on your hand and place it on my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. Thomas answered him, my Lord and my God. And then Jesus said to Thomas, have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not yet seen and yet have believed. I think as we think about the disciples' reaction to what they were seeing, their reaction to Jesus, I think there's two different types of doubters that we should consider today. Perhaps as I describe these two different types of doubters, you may find yourself relating to one of them. The first one is what I call the daily doubter. The daily doubter, as, as you hear Thomas's story, as you think about all of these things going on in the Bible, you might say, you know what, Matt? I, I've been to church a lot. I've been coming to church for a long time, but I'm not really sure if this Jesus guy is real. I'm not really sure if what he's done is actually all that important. I hear about him a lot, and I, I just don't get that excited. If that's you, I want you to know that you're welcome here at Riverwood Church. We are absolutely glad that you have chosen to come today or that you continue coming to Riverwood Church. We exist to help people like you who may be doubting and feel just a little disconnected from Jesus. We invite you to continue coming. We invite you to continue asking those questions, to ultimately explore who Jesus is and what he can do for you in your life. But I don't want you to take my word for it. If you find yourself thinking, ah, I'm one of those daily doubters, Matt, I want to encourage you today to not take my word, but to dig in to God's word. I want you to continue to ask those questions and say, is God real? Is Jesus real? Is this Easter story that Matt just talked about, is there significance to that story? I would encourage you to dig in to God's word, to pray to God and just say, if you're real, Jesus, if you did indeed die on the cross for my sins, what does that mean for me? And so if you're one of those daily doubters, I just want to say thank you and encourage you to continue coming each and every Sunday here at Riverwood Church. Maybe you're not a daily doubter. Maybe you're what I call a circumstantial doubter. Uh, this, uh, this level of doubt kind of comes and goes in different ways. You know that Jesus is real. Yet based upon some of the things that are going on in your life right now, you're like, I just don't know. I don't know where God is right now. I'm not sure where the next paycheck is going to come. I'm not sure how we're going to handle this situation going on in our family. I'm not really sure how I'm going to stay in school. I'm not really sure how I'm going to be able to handle my father-in-law or mother-in-law. If this is you, I want you to know that Riverwood Church also exists for you. We're so glad that you also continue coming back 
to Riverwood Church and to ask those questions. And I hope that today as you hear Thomas's reaction to Jesus, that today as we celebrate communion here in a little bit, and that today as we hear this proclamation in verse 18 in just a moment, that your response today as a circumstantial doubter is to cry out just like Thomas did and say, my Lord and my God, thank you. Regardless, though, of the type of doubter that you may be feeling today, I want you to have a few takeaways here from verse 18, which is our proclamation. Jesus says, all authority, all authority on earth has been given to me. All authority on earth has been given to me. How many of you have ever been in that moment where you're getting ready to apply for that job? Or you're getting ready to take that big test? Or you're getting ready to take a pretty big step in life? And so as you talk with someone else, they're like, hey, you got this? You know what I'm talking about? You got this? You got this? You got this? And it feels temporarily good, doesn't it? Oh, I I do got this. That's me. I got it. Yes, I can do it. I got some bad news for us all today. That's not what verse 18 is all about. That's not what verse 18 is all about. You see, in verse 18, it says that all authority in heaven and earth is not given to Matt Townsley. All authority on heaven and earth has been given to our Father, to Jesus. If you're anything like me, this can uh, be a hard one to swallow when the next state or federal election comes around. If only that one person gets elected, right? Our world will be a better place. Or maybe when trying to make a decision about something going on in your kid's life, the school they should go to, the friends they should make, if only they'll go to this certain school, if only they'll make this certain friend, that's the I've got this mentality. But we're learning in verse 18 is that he's got this. You're going to see this phrase up on the screen. I know it's kind of interesting, but would you do me a favor? Turn to the person next to you. Don't tell them you've got it. Instead, tell them he's got this. Go ahead and tell them right now. If you need further confirmation, Psalm 135, verses 5 through 6, really spoke to me as I studied this week for today's message. It explains this proclamation in a slightly different way. It says the following, For I know that the Lord is great, and that our Lord is above all gods. Whatever the Lord pleases, He does. In heaven and on earth and the seas and all the deeps. You see, without this truth, without this proclamation that all authority is given to God, all of our Christianity, all of what it means to be a Jesus follower absolutely falls apart. Have you ever thought about this? The only reason that we can trust God is because he has all of the authority. 
Not some of it. Not most of it. But all of it. Not just sometimes, but all the time. Jesus' proclamation is that he's got this. Hebrews 1, verses 1 through 2, which will be up on the screen, is also a good confirmation that he's got this. Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. He's referring to all of those things that we read about in the Old Testament. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, his son Jesus, that same Jesus that appeared to the disciples. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, who he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. You see, Riverwood friends, if Jesus is the creator, if he did exist from the beginning, and today's passage reminds us that because of this, he has all of the authority, we can rest assured that he indeed does have this. He's got it, and that should not only give us a great amount of comfort, but as we're going to learn in the last two verses, it should also compel us into action. So let's transition now to the final point in today's message, verses 19 and 20, a mandate. The mandate here is that all authority has been given to Jesus, and as a result of that, we are to make disciples of all nations. So if we're being told that we're supposed to be making disciples, it's probably important for us to know what in the world is a disciple. So let's define what a disciple is here real quickly. A disciple is someone who believes in Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, intentionally learns from him, and strives to live more like him. If I could summarize it in the words of Aaron Bird, for those of you that have come to Riverwood for a long period of time, he says this frequently, right? Our aim is to help people live like Jesus lived and love like Jesus loved. That's a disciple. If you're anything like me, though, when you read this Great Commission passage and it says, go therefore and make disciples, you think, well, that's for those missionaries, right? Those full-time people that as you walk into our worship gathering space, you see on the wall over there. I want to take a moment and highlight our missionary partners. You'll see up on the screen the locations of the three missionary partners that we celebrate and support here at Riverwood Church. First is Patrick and Shelby Ray at Northside Neighborhood Community Church in North Minneapolis. Just about a three, three and a half hour drive up north. Patrick and Shelby Ray have been partners with us here at River, Riverwood for a long time, starting a new church, not just to accumulate a bunch of people, but to reach the people in North Minneapolis. Secondly, you'll note up there on uh, the map that we also uh, support um, Josh and Hillary Smith in Cambodia. Wow, I've never been to Cambodia, but uh, seems like a long, long ways away. They're doing the same thing that Patrick and Shelby Ray are doing in North Minneapolis. And finally, Aslan McCarthy in Togo. Three missionary partners that Riverwood supports for around the world. Three people, couples in there as well, that are dedicating their lives as missionary partners with us 
here at Riverwood. And then I want to talk about another missionary person I know. He's a friend of mine named Ryan. Ryan Jonas was a, uh, a sixth grader when Cassie and I uh, were uh, helping out with youth group at our former church in Cedar Rapids, Iowa. A number of years ago, Ryan was a, uh, a sixth grade boy, as you can imagine, as sixth grade boys are, challenging to wrangle in the sixth grade boys to help them focus on studying God's word at youth group. Really proud to say that Ryan and his wife, Katie, much older now, uh, are now full-time missionaries with a, an organization called The Navigators. Ryan and his wife have dedicated their lives to reaching young people, and they currently work at a university campus in Nebraska. Here's what Ryan had to say in his email this past week about what he's doing as a disciple maker on campus in Nebraska. Check it out. I've had the privilege of meeting with an agnostic student I met sharing the gospel in December. This student, this agnostic student, has a religious background but doesn't currently know if God exists. But he likes talking about God, Jesus, and the Bible. This week, this agnostic student asked me if he could film my job for a school project. So he came to our NAV night, and NAV's like their big uh, gathering of students. So this agnostic student came to NAV night, and he started filming, and he sat quietly in the back for almost an hour afterwards. After we finished, I went and chatted with my agnostic friend, and my agnostic friend shared with me that he longed for the hope and community that our students have. I invited him to come back as a participant next week and to read the Bible with him And I'm proud to say that he said that he would really enjoy that. I am praying that God will soften his heart to the gospel and that we will acknowledge his sin and his need for a savior. An agnostic student? Someone who outwardly says, God's not for me? I don't believe in him? Not just a lukewarm person that's gone to church, but says, I don't want anything to do with Jesus? And Ryan says, I'm a disciple maker. That's my aim. But as you may be thinking right now, this mandate to be a disciple maker is not just for the missionary partners on our wall. This mandate to be a disciple maker is not just for Ryan and Katie on a Nebraska University campus. This mandate is for you and for me. We don't live in North Minneapolis. We don't live in the Congo. We don't live in Cambodia. But yet we do have an opportunity to interact with coworkers and neighbors and friends. The mandate here is that if we call ourselves Jesus followers, we are called to be disciple makers. And if we act upon this mandate, it can And it should take place in our neighborhoods, in our dorms, at the workplace, in McDonald's drive-thru, wherever we find ourselves, that is where we're called to be disciple makers. I want to share a video with you right now of somebody who I think really gets this. To set the stage, um, 
the Aurora University football team uh, had just gotten beat by the Wartburg Knights in the 2022 Division III football playoffs. And so what you're going to see right now is uh, the post-game press conference, just an excerpt from this post-game press conference. And when this video clip starts, you're going to hear a, uh, a football player named Cam. And first we're going to hear from Cam is maybe a little bit surprising, but not too surprising. Uh, the question that Cam is trying to answer here is, what does, this, what does Aurora making it this far in the football playoffs mean for the entire program, the entire football program? And so Cam's going to answer it in a way where he gives glory to God. You might say, okay, that's, that's pretty cool. But check out right after Cam how his coach responds. Cue up that video for us, Alex. Uh, first, thank you to my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. I forgot to say that at Whitewater last time, and I had to say that right now. But building off what they said, it's just a standard. We want we want to let everybody know, everybody in the locker room know that they're just building on this. They're just building on this, and they're going to go even further next year. They're, winning, they're going to win the national championship next year. And we just want to keep on doing greatness on and off the field. That's all we wanted to show them. I'll just add this. Um, you know, football is a lot like life. There's a lot of wins and losses in life, and how you handle it is is how you become, uh, you know, building your character as a man. And I thought what Cam said was very apropos to our whole year. Our greatest victory wasn't any of the 11. Uh, our greatest victory was our first Bible study when 20 kids gave their heart to Christ, and 16 of them got baptized two weeks later in the Fox River. That's victory. And uh, and thank you for reminding your coach of that. Hmm. 20 professions of faith, 16 baptisms. That's like the entire offense plus more or the entire defense plus more turning their lives over to Jesus. God is using Coach Don Beebe in an amazing way. Coach Beebe understands that Jesus' mandate of making disciples is a part of his daily life. And so if you're thinking today, okay, Matt, I get it. What should I do? What are some of my first steps? A couple quick entry points is this. I'm guessing that Coach Beebe at that Bible study, he or someone else had to know God's word first before he was able to share it with others. And so a simple first step today is Digging back into God's word so you can share it with others. The second thing I think we could do today is that we ought to all be pursuing biblical community ourselves. If we want to be built up, to have the skill set, to feel comfortable sharing God's word with others, we need to be in biblical community so we can grow in our own faith journey and be able to share it with others. If you're not in a growth group yet, I just want to invite you. Check one out so you too can grow in that same biblical community. And the third thing that I think Coach Beebe gets right here is in order for us to share about Jesus with others is we need to spend quality time with people who don't yet know him. I don't know if you're like me, but sometimes I feel most comfortable hanging out with people that are like-minded with me. But if we're going to enact this mandate, we have to spend quality time with those who are not yet Jesus followers. 
Friends, can I ask you a really, really, really tough question today? How excited are you? How excited are you to tell others about Jesus? Remember how excited I was to share with you about Caitlin Clark? That pales in comparison. That pales in comparison to the proclamation that we learned today. I want to share with you a verse that, uh, that Jake actually shared with me this week. It comes from Philippians 3, verses 7 through 8. But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. Riverwood friends, is Jesus your everything? Are you so overjoyed with what he's done in your life that you just cannot wait to tell others about it? Are you willing to put your reputation on the line as a student, as an athlete, as a John Deere employee, as a neighbor, as a coworker, for the sake of telling others? about Jesus? This thing we're hearing today, it's not, it's not optional. It's a mandate. And the good news is, if we look at verse 20, he says that he will be with us as we do it. Let us pray. Father, I thank you today for what you've done for us on the cross. Lord, as we set the stage today, we remember that you've died on the cross for us. You rose again just as you said you would. And as a result of that, it washes away all of our sins. We remember you today, Lord, and we thank you for that. Lord, I pray that you would compel me, that you would compel each person here to act upon the mandate that you share with your 12 disciples and that you share with us today to share the good news in our workplace, in our dorms, in our neighborhoods, so that others, too, may learn about you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.